1: I am your host, Vic Jurami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures.
0: The Blunt Post with Vic.
1: Zara Sinanyan earned his bachelor's degree from UCLA and his law degree from USC. After working for the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, he worked for several law firms in Southern California. In 2013, Sinanyan was elected to the Glendale City Council and served as mayor of Glendale from April 2014 through April 2015, and then again from April 2018 through June 2019. In 2019, Sinanyan was appointed to serve as the High Commissioner for Diaspora Affairs at the office of the Prime Minister of Republic of Armenia, Nikol Pashinyan. He lives in Armenia with his wife and four children. Thank you for uh, speaking with me about uh, the state of Armenia and Artsakh as is, and moving forward, and as it was. So I'm going to come right out and say, and just ask you, What was going through your mind and what did it look like for you on September 27th of 2020 when you found out, when you first heard that there was an attack?
0: Well, the war started early in the morning on the 27th, which was a Sunday. And um, either had just woken up or was in the process of waking up because it is a Sunday. And it was 7.15 a.m., I think, and I actually found out from my sister. Um, or, uh, I yeah, I believe my sister called me and, and said that um, there's war. Uh, and of course, I jumped up with the intention of going to the office. And by then, I already received the official call from the government to report to work. And I was already on the way. Did you, at the time, think that it
1: was going to be what it ended up being a 44 days of this assault, this
0: ongoing? I did not. uh, Honestly, I didn't. I thought that um, it would be a much longer war, uh, more like the 91-94 war. I also realized that we were probably um, not gonna fare well during that war because I've known for years that while Azerbaijan is preparing and has been preparing for decades on on every level, uh, on every level, uh, industrial, military, technological, financial, economic, um, know-how, training of soldiers, the quality of officer corps, Uh, diplomatic level, uh, Armenia had not. Armenia had wasted... The 26 or so years of its victory over Azerbaijan. And um, the new government had done much to try to catch up Mm -hmm. uh, and make up for that lost time, but it wasn't uh, enough time. And again, in in two years, you can't change a mindset. You can't change um, all the cadres. You know, the human resources are are going to be a problem for a long time and uh but i thought you know this is take a long time it'll take huge sacrifice from our nation um we have to minimize the damage that was my thought i actually i predicted the war in in pretty certain terms uh in may of that year i knew the war 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 was coming it's inevitable it's going to happen soon because i saw what was happening in libya and what turkey was doing with uh, the Syrian mercenaries and its effectiveness in taking out Russian air defenses against uh, General Haftar oh. and his forces. and, I, and I, I had kind of this aha moment. I realized that they're going to replicate this against us. The moment they realize they can take out our air defenses is the moment when they can assault us. Because I knew that you know, on every other level they surpassed, surpassed us. You've been a Diplomat, an American diplomat for years. Well, oh, elected North. official. I'd like to. Well, yeah, yeah mm-hmm.
1: and that too. And uh, you, you're familiar with international affairs, obviously. Were you surprised at the relative silence of the international
0: community? Uh, no, I, I was not surprised. I, I understand the cynicism of foreign politics and diplomacy. I also b- believe Armenia. Takes, should take the blame for some of it uh, again you in order for the for the international community to respond a certain way to this you have to work towards it mm-hmm. we had again 26 years in which we should have conducted effective diplomacy um, again diplomacy is uh, one of the key uh, aspects of national security. And you have to exercise that part of it as you would exercise the military part of it. And, you know, you have to gear up for war. You have to constantly gear up for war and, and use diplomacy as another tool, your tool shed. And again, that wasn't done. And we saw the results. The results were uh, not un- unforeseeable and they were directly related to Armenia's very weak diplomatic efforts in uh, 20, 26, 30 years preceding the, the second war. Point taken, but how about OSCE? They were pretty involved. There are many organizations, OSCE, UN, uh, Minsk Group, uh, you, you know, national, you know uh, the Security Council, United Nations Security Council. At the end of the day, they're composed of countries, uh, all of whom are motivated by self-interest. You have to base everything you do on the acceptance of the fact that countries act out of self-interest. The question there is, what do you represent for those countries? What interest do you represent for them? Uh, What is it that is going to motivate them to act in your uh, defense or uh, in your favor? And once you can answer that question, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you can realistically expect support from one country or another. But unless they, you've answered that question, unless you've created a value in yourself for those countries, they're not going to to act uh, on your behalf or in, in your favor. You know, there's a saying in Armenian: uh, "They're not going to act for your beautiful eyes." You're not right. They're not going to. They're going to not going to do anything because that's not sufficient. There has to be national interest involved. Countries with uh, large natural resources uh, have that, that in of itself represents a value and other countries because of their self-interest will act upon it. Armenia doesn't have those natural resources. Armenia has other things which it could have utilized, which it could have used as, as as a means of becoming valuable for other countries, but that wasn't done. That was a process. That couldn't have been done in two, two and a half years. Of course it couldn't have. We're talking yeah. about, uh, again, remember, Azerbaijan geared up for this war for 26 years. And there's a reason for it. Because they they covered every aspect of what would be required in order for them to prevail. Right. And they had some help from uh, Mother Nature, too. You know, uh, COVID was a yeah. perfect opportunity when... Countries were more dissociated and more distant and more isolated from one another due to the illness. So. Yeah. This is the blunt
1: post with Vic on KPFK ninety point seven FM. I am your host Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Zare Sinanyan, High Commissioner of Diaspora Affairs for the Republic of Armenia. Let's um, let's talk about Artsakh. So. About 80 to 90% of what was Artsakh or Nagar karabakh to most non-Armenians uh, is basically now occupied by Azerbaijan, and its 150,000 population is down to, who knows, maybe 90,000 90, to 100,000, and that's a lot of them going back to live there in the last few months. What is, what is the status from your perspective of Artsakh right now?
0: Not, you know, I'm not sure about the percentages. It may be a little this way, that way. Uh, And I don't think that matters as far as your question is concerned. But Artsakh is clearly um, a territory that's not under Azeri control, that part of Artsakh which isn't under their occupation. Um, But its security is reliant upon a third country. I mean, Russia's military presence is the thing now that is ensuring the safety of the Armenian people. Uh, in that territory the status of nagorno karabakh uh, artsakh uh, is continues to to be uh, debatable and it's in jeopardy and uh, our efforts along with the main effort of increasing our capability national security capabilities should be to um, determine the final status of artsakh as either an independent state or a part of the Republic of Armenia. So that's a non-negotiable. Is it safe to assume? There is no territory outside of the Republic of Armenia that's either under control of Turkey or Azerbaijan. Indigenous ter- ter- Territories where indigenous Armenians have resided for thousands of years that today have an Armenian population. The fact is, anything that goes under their control, the indigenous people, who are the Armenians, are either killed or expelled. Uh, This has been a continuous process since the Seljuk invasion of Armenia proper, then under the Ottoman Empire, culminating in the massacres of the 1890s, then the Armenian Genocide, massacres in Artsakh, in Shushi, in Baku, in Nachcevan in the uh, 1905, 1907 period, 1920 period, and since 1988, so that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no no one no no one is under any illusion that uh, Armenian people can live and maintain their uh, cultural heritage on their own land as long as that land is under Azeri control. It's no. a fact. You can't coexist with people who don't want you to exist. Right. You can't. Uh, you, you can't. Right. I mean, they have proven uh, through their actions that they don't want Armenian people to exist. And that's a fact. As well,
1: and it seems like now they are. This aggression doesn't end. It's like the bully that keeps bullying. Right. And now we're sort of facing this issue in the Sunni region. Mm-hmm. You know, we know what their motivations are politically: to have a corridor and to isolate Armenia even more. So, what's the? What do we not know about that? What do, do we not know about that? Beyond
0: the obvious. Beyond the fact that... I think that things are obvious. Things are obvious. They, it, it, uh, Turkey has a goal of creating a land connection to Azerbaijan. And that's what this is about. But we knew that this is what it was going to be about. There's a reason that during the first Artsakh war, we liberated uh, territories beyond the administrative borders of the former Nagorno-Karabakh autonomous uh, region. The some of those territories were a very uh, essential, uh, life-saving buffer zones. Right. Because we know that their ambitions go way beyond uh, the liberated territories, the ones that we liberated in ninety one, ninety four period, beyond Artsakh proper. And now we're seeing it in action. Of course, that's a much harder... Bone for them to, to chew upon because it is part of Armenia's uh, recognized uh, territory. But as experience has shown, again, the international community today is in such disarray and uh, there's such a disengagement by um, some of the major players, uh, for example, the United States or the European Union, where aggressive states uh, can act uh, at will and get away with it. We also have to remember that Turkey is the one country mm-hmm. that since the 1970s has been occupying a good chunk of Cyprus mm-hmm. and no one has lifted a finger to punish them for it. Turkey yeah. continues to occupy Northern Cyprus and they've gotten away with it. So the, the moral of the story is they can do it and get away with it again. And this is what's sad. So what's next? What are Well, again, we have to increase our national security capabilities and that means... Many things, not only strengthen and modernize, completely overhaul our military, completely overhaul the military, strengthen the economy, strengthen our diplomatic efforts, um, and create a, an entire system uh, of various layers of, of defense that will uh, make it too costly for anyone to attack Armenia, attack the Armenian people where they reside in their ancestral homeland.
1: What would you want people watching, non-Armenians, who may not even know where Artsakh is, who, what, would you, what would you want them to know? Um, or maybe even just correct some sort of a misconception or some propaganda from Azerbaijan that's sort of out there?
0: Turkey and Azerbaijan has, have used you know, several decades and billions of dollars uh, that they have to build uh, a legend around themselves uh, and specifically as it comes to Artsakh. And it is a legend based on lies. The the simple truth is that the Armenian people that have lived in, in these lands since time immemorial, I mean, since written history, has come into existence. Our people want to you know, have the opportunity to live on our ancestral homelands that have constantly been encroached upon by the Turks, whether they're called Azeri Turks, Ottoman Turks, today's Turks, um, and they just want to exterminate what remains of the Armenian nation, which they weren't able to exterminate in 1915. That's all. It's that simple. For us, this is existence. It's, it's all about um, being able to live and retain our cultural heritage on our homeland. For them, it's just continuation of what they've done for the last thousand years, which is expand on territories that they're guests on.
1: Yeah, the pan-Turkic ambition. Sorry, I'm going to ask you one more question, so then I don't want to take too much of your time. What questions should I have asked that I haven't,
0: or anything you'd want to add? If to the extent that uh, you, you, the purpose of this film is to to air sort of the realities on the ground in Armenia as as, as it relates to Artsakh, I think it's important for our, our compatriots in the diaspora, especially in the United States, to ask what tangible results, tangible results, they are getting from their efforts. Uh, or, or the efforts of their elected officials. I mean, a lot of elected officials over the last decades have you know, used a lot of nice words and promised things. And the word genocide is used a lot. Genocide recognition has been used a lot. A lot of effort has been spent in that direction. And the question needs to be asked is what tangible results have the Armenians uh, throughout the world, specifically Armenian community in the United States, gotten, and the Armenian people uh, that live in Armenia, of course, that means Artsakh as well, what we have gotten from those efforts? I think that's a key. I think everyone needs to stop, sort of, take a deep breath, ask that question, and then be very honest with the answer, and then move on from that point on right. based on what that, the answer to that question is. Yeah. And I'm, again, I'm talking about tangible results, yeah. not moral victories, not feel-good moments. Right. But something that has increased uh, our survivability in this world. Right.
1: Uh, that's a really good point. Thank you for uh, speaking with me. That was my interview with High Commissioner Zares Sinanyan from the Republic of Armenia. Thank you, High Commissioner, for your time and for being on the show. And uh, I hope to chat with you again soon.
0: The Blunt Post with Vic.
1: My special guest today is uh, Alexander Lapshin. I'm very excited to have this uh, interview with Alexander, who I met in Armenia just uh, about over a week ago. I was there, uh, I've said this before, I was there filming for my documentary feature film, Motherland, and uh, I had the opportunity to meet with him and interview him for the film. Uh, but this is a new interview uh, that I'm doing just for the show. And um, introduction to him is a, is a little sort of lengthy because, you know, Alexander is a journalist and a travel writer. He's a, he's a Russian-Israeli who has traveled throughout the world and happened to have gone to uh, Artsakh, also known as Nagar karabakh in 2011. Uh, ...to sort of write and blog about his travels and food and places to see and such... uh, ...sort of not knowing what he's walking into. And later he did the same thing going to Azerbaijan... ...also unsuspected sort of just doing his thing. And uh, in 2017, while on vacation in Belarus with his family... ...he was arrested by the officials there under the order of the Azerbaijani government... And he was extradited to Azerbaijan, um, not allowed to sort of talk to anyone, his attorney, diplomats, family, etc. And uh, he had uh, you know months of being in the prison, uh, sort of a brutal prison. He was abused and he was assaulted and uh, they attempted to kill him. In fact, they have attempted to kill him twice after that while he is uh, free. Um, finally, the Israeli government and the Russian government and the European Union uh, got involved and he was freed. Um, but of course, with a, quite a lot of damage to him, obviously in his family. And so it, this is a remarkable story and uh, one that it, it just sort of spans politics, geopolitics, power, dictatorship of Azerbaijan, human rights, and such. So I hope you enjoy my uh, interview with with uh, Alexander Lapshin. I think there's a lot that you will um, hear that there's no way for me to cover during the introduction. So enjoy. Hello, Alex. Uh, Welcome to the Blunt Post with Vic. How are you today? I know it's uh, even though it's morning here, you are in Yerevan, Armenia, which is 11 hours ahead. So it's evening there. So good evening.
2: Uh, yeah, good evening, good morning, California. I'm here in Yerevan. I'm drinking my Armenian tea called Urts uh, uh, in Armenian language. Uh, so, and I'm happy to discuss with you. Uh, so, good morning, America.
1: Well, good morning uh, back to you. Um, as you know, I was just in Armenia uh, finishing my documentary feature film, Motherland. Um, I was there for the second time. And I had the privilege to meet you, which was a a special treat. And uh, of course, you have such an incredible story that uh, so many people already know about it. But I wanted to talk about it. And even though your case uh, has been an international story for several years and you recently had a victory, um, I think there are people who might still not be familiar with it. So... (laughs) So you know, we start with with that you are, uh, you know, your profession is your journalist and uh, a travel uh, writer who you know who's been to I don't know 130 plus uh, nations, uh, writing about your travels and with uh, video blogging and and such, and uh, sort of you accidentally walked into a sort of an international a crisis, if you will, that you didn't bargain for. So I'm going to let you really tell people who are listening your story and, uh, you know, describe what happened.
2: Uh, Okay, well, we all remember from childhood the comedy movies about those uh, strange guys who accidentally found themselves in the epicenter of spy stories. Uh Uh, But personally, (laughs) uh, those stories seem funny but unrealistic to me. I was thinking to myself, uh, how come that intelligence services of different countries suddenly look for, let's say, a schoolboy from Oklahoma City and why on earth uh, would this fate interest the leaders of several countries? But, you Uh know, unfortunately, now I am forced to admit that those children's uh, movies about spies no longer strike me as a science fiction. Right. Um, So my story, I will tell my story from the beginning. So my story could be kind of script for a Hollywood thriller, I think. Yes. <laughs> I am far away from I am far away from politics. I am not a human rights activist. I am just a travel journalist and blogger. I travel around the globe and tell my readers uh, stories about beautiful cities, wonderful nature, exotic beaches, and so on. So among other things, I visited Nagorno Karabakh. Which called Artsakh in Armenian, so I visited Artsakh in 2011, and uh, for tourism purposes only, and I did not even immerse myself in its political status. Right. So I published a series of articles, where, among other things, I emphasized a short form in a short form that uh, Muslim Azerbaijan was ruled by the brutal dictatorship of Alif's family. Um, that the Armenians, Christian Armenians of Karabakh could not survive as a part of this country. And therefore they fought for their independence after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So this was enough for Azerbaijan to put my name on the uh, black list of undesirable persons, uh, which means uh, enemies of the regime. Right. So I think it's important to to say here that I did not even know at the beginning that my name was on Azerbaijani blacklist. So, therefore, a few years later, after visiting Karabakh, I also decided to visit Azerbaijan itself, since I was interested in the, for example, Jewish history of this region. Right. For example, Mountain Jews of Khazar uh, um, Kingdom, two thousand years ago. So, I flew to Baku, past Azerbaijani passport control without any problems, here at a car, and I traveled around Azerbaijan for about 15, 20 days. And later, I was arrested in Belarus, actually six months later after this trip to Azerbaijan. I was kept for almost two months in a Belarusian prison, and then on the personal uh, order of President Lukashenko of Belarus, I was extradited to Azerbaijan. So this caused kind of tensions in relations between Armenia and Belarus and uh, become the topic for foreign policy agenda in Israel and Russia. For example, Um, Russia.
1: Alex, uh, let me stop you for a second, because even though I know your story, I'm still enthralled. Um, For those who are uh, just joining us, uh, this is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Vic Jaramie, and I'm speaking with... Uh, Alex Lapshin, who is a, a journalist and a travel blogger um, whose story uh, has made international headlines, um, a story that deserves to be a feature film. Um, and we're listening to his uh, incredible story so far. And just to kind of um, just to review what Alex has said is, you know, after going to over 100 nations, he visited uh the region of Artsakh or Artsakh Republic and uh, later when he was in he didn't know that he'd been put on Azerbaijan's blacklist he was in Belarus and uh, and he also actually visited uh, Azerbaijan as well not knowing uh, anything about uh, you know the politics of it or even being concerned or interested in it Um, Alex is Jewish from Russia, originally now uh, also an Israeli, and he was visiting uh, Azerbaijan to see some, you know, some places that are important to the Jewish heritage there. And then he goes to Belarus, where he's arrested by the Belarusian police, uh, put in jail, and later extradited to Azerbaijan. Was that accurate,
2: Alex? as I said uh, both Russia and Israel opposed my extradition for example Russian foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said that Russia is categorically against the extradition to Azerbaijan as well uh, against the criminalization of uh, any visits by journalists to certain regions of the world including Karabakh so Israel also protested the extradition the European Union protested as well still nevertheless but it's known now, Belarus gave, my, gave me out to Azerbaijan in exchange for um, probably a loan to pay debts for Russian gas and oil. We are talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. That's unbelievable, It's a horrible wow. story. So in Azerbaijan, I was in a, a terrible solitary confinement, solitary cell. Uh, my rights as an arrested person were constantly violated. Um, A lawyer here by my family was refused to see me. Um, I was not allowed to read books. Uh, uh, Israeli and Russian diplomats were not allowed to see me for a long time, for about months and a half, even even close to two months. Um, And it was written that if I will not recognize Karabakh as a part of Azerbaijan uh, during the judgment in the court, in Azerbaijani court, I would be raped with a bottle. And then I will be killed. So they called me a dirty Armenian bastard and spy. <laughs> Actually, in spite of the fact that I am a Jew, I have nothing to do with the Armenian nation. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Right. Um so the behavior, in my opinion, the behavior of Azerbaijanis remind me the horrors of Nazism, German Nazism, right. concentration camps, and all these horrible movies like Schindler's List of Steven Spielberg and so on. Um, so, remember, remembering how Azerbaijani investigators and prosecutors spoke about Armenians, I saw that they did not differ in any way from the German Nazis. So they said that Armenians are defective nation of freaks, um, that Armenian females are oh. prostitutes, and so. Um, so basically, as a result, after spending two months in Belarus before the extradition, and then. Uh, seven months in Azerbaijan prison i was assaulted by four masked men in my cell i was beaten and when i lost my concession this <clears throat> a stage a uh, suicide uh, so while i was in an intensive care unit of baku hospital all the media in azerbaijan published um, false information that the blogger Lapshin tried to commit suicide but they saved my life
1: to cover up what they did then bit. president Uh, Yeah, they staged uh, or claimed falsely that you tried to commit suicide so they can uh, clean up and they can cover up their crime, which is, you know, beating you up.
2: Exactly, 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 exactly. So then uh, President Ali of Azerbaijan suddenly decided to pardon me and I was sent to Israel, extradited to Israel. So basically, this is my story. So after arriving in Israel, I applied to a human rights court. But this is a little bit different story. If if you like, I can tell you about my uh, judgment with Azerbaijan in Strasbourg. Yes, like absolutely. So. Go ahead. Uh, so immediately after um, I, <laughs> I survived, I got back home to Israel. I decided to apply with a lawsuit against Azerbaijan in a human rights court in Strasbourg, France, and I won. And I won the the judgment. The court said, in a ruling published on May 20, that Baku must pay a compensation of, uh, you know, 36,000 um, dollars. <laughs> actually, basically, I am satisfied with the decision of the European courts. In the decision taken, uh, fully reflects all the facts what happened to me. Azerbaijan made serious effort to prevent the adoption of such. Uh, Uh, decision against this country, but all efforts were useless. As for the compensation, of course, 36,000 dollars for nine months of torture and abuse for the tears of my wife and my child and my mom is absolutely not enough. Right. Uh, This is kind of symbolic, symbolic amount. So our family actually spent more on lawyers than the amount of compensation decided by the court. But here the importance, uh, to, important to indicate that the European Court always awards symbolic amounts, since the propose is to create a, it's more like a legal precedent and not to compensate the victim. Uh, so for this reason, my next lawsuit against Azerbaijan will be in the United States, hopefully in November or December this year, and they hope for a fair decision. Uh, and normal decent compensation.
1: Something that interested me was that uh, when you were awarded the thirty-six thousand dollars by the European Court of Human Rights, which, by the way, uh, they contested it, and then you won again about a month ago. Correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. You opened up a bank account at Artsakh Bank to give them the information of a bank account. For the Israeli government to deposit the money, which I found, I just find it fascinating and I love it. Will you elaborate on that?
2: Uh, Look, this is kind of my personal revenge over Azerbaijan. (laughs) So I was arrested because of Artsakh visit, so let them pay to Artsakh Bank. I love it. (laughs) I love it.
1: So, one of the things that, uh, of course, you know, a lot of this is connected to. Azerbaijan's um, refusal to recognize uh, Artsakh as an independent republics, um, but also what fascinates me is that uh, President Aliyev and his family, who have ruled Azerbaijan like some sort of a monarchy for forty plus years, and they commit so many crimes, not just uh, against the Armenians and uh, uh, non-Armenians from outside. such as you as a Jewish person, but even, you know, their own people and their journalists and uh, human rights activists. And yet the international community keeps placating to them. And, of course, the obvious reason is, you know, oil and gas. That sort of flows through the Caspian. But there's got to be more. So I'm wondering what your take is on that.
2: Um. I think you're right, absolutely right. It seems to me that Alif ensures the stability of oil and gas supplies and provides his territory to monitoring the situation in the region and for preparation of a possible war against Iran. So both the United States and Israel actually will support Alif regime for this reason. Therefore, the catastrophic situation of uh, ethnic Armenians in Artsakh it's not a priority for the European Union and the United States. So it's cynical and scary, but that's life, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. I understand. You are now living in Armenia with your wife and, and, and your daughter, correct?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, correct.
1: Okay. Um, what, where are you now in terms of um, just in general... Uh, with what you're doing and what's next in in your chapter, you know you're still uh, not in any kind of a stable situation and there's threats against you. Um, how does that feel and where are you at now with your family?
2: Um, as you said now, uh, I'm in Armenia and this country has become my kind of second homeland. It's unbelievable for <laughs> the Jewish guy from Israeli Haifa. <laughs> but still, I have many friends here in Armenia. Here I feel relatively safe. Uh, Armenia is uh, famous for the delicious food, beautiful nature, and low cost of living, right. compared to to Europe, states, and even Israel. So actually, this is this wasn't by chance that I mentioned the issue of security, since the Azerbaijani authorities did not stop of persecuting me, even after the judgment that was passed in the European court. So after loathing the legal field, they decided to use the criminal tools to physically eliminate me, actually to kill me. Wow! At least twice in uh, 2019 and 2020, Azerbaijani criminal gangs in various European countries attempt to track me down, but luckily for me, I was warned by the local police. It's happened twice, as I said, in Latvia, and the second time in Russia. Wow. And you know, as for my future plans, of course, I continue to travel the world, but I must do it more discreetly nowadays. In addition, I consider the new trail, trial against Azerbaijan in the United States, as we told before. Um, this is kind of an important stage in my life, which will bring new opportunities and maybe new interesting projects. For example, our preparations are currently underway for the filming of a movie about my case. So the name of the movie is A blacklist of Azerbaijan. And I also consider this a kind of important development of my personal career.
1: Wow. I like that name. Um, of course, it's a painful name for you, I'm sure. Um, but I know that, you know, you, you never intended to be an activist or political or anything like that. But what you're doing... Taking a stand and taking them to court, and now telling your story uh, with this film—it's—it's going to help millions of people, if not more. You know, and Azerbaijan is not the only country to do this to people and to do this to, you know, foreigners and even their um, their own nationals. It uh, it, these things happen all the time, and uh, I think your story is just impeccable for a film. (laughs) So uh, I'm interested to you know hear the developments as it happens. I mean, what, what would you like people, even people who have read about um, what happened to you, uh, and uh, and all of this, to really know the essence of what happened, and what to get out of it? Something that's teachable, or something that they don't know.
2: Look, I think it's important for people to know that a horrible event that taken place in in the world, including in Artsakh. And uh, if you take the position of uh, ostrich with the head in the ground, this doesn't mean that trouble, that trouble will not come to your home. Right. So I recall the stories of my relatives who went through the horrors of the Holocaust, of the Jewish Holocaust, during the Second World War. Right. And they admitted that this could have been prevented if they had treated it other strategy for example Armenian genocide with a sufficient understanding from the very beginning right so this is the most important point in my opinion
1: yeah history repeating itself just in different regions different ways to different people if we don't talk about it learn from it and hold people accountable well alex um Thank you for sharing your story. You know, you, you have such a great attitude about it, but I know that it's not easy and it's kind of reliving, um, you know, a nightmare. Let's, let's get blunt, a nightmare that you had to go through as well as your family for such a long time. Um, I wish you um, best and safety in Armenia and, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll talk <laughs> again soon down the line. To see where you're at with uh, with the upcoming ventures.
2: Thank you, thank you, Vic. Have a good day. Thank you.
1: Well, that was Alex Lapshin, uh, who is uh, very gracious and uh, you know such a joy to talk to. Someone who's gone through just a horrendous, horrendous experience. Him and his family. You know, he still manages to have humor about it, uh, and I'm very grateful to have had this interview. As I said, uh, I interviewed Alex for my documentary feature film. Uh, and so, when it comes out, you will see a lot more of what we talk about in the film. And if you want to watch the five-minute sizzle for it and learn more about it, uh, go to uh, motherlanddoc.com, uh, motherland. DOC.com. And I hope you enjoyed uh, the interview with Alex. Um, And Alex, thank you very much for being on the show today. Um, Really, really appreciate your time uh, with the time difference and everything. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 6 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at VicGerami. At V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you.
0: The Blunt Post with Vic.